The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay Paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay Paul Nadeau. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inspire Us. I want to take a few moments to pitch my book to you. Yes, I've done this before, and I don't mind doing it again. The book is called Take Control of Your Life, and it is changing people's lives. Actually, it's been credited on several occasions for actually saving lives. So if you haven't picked up your copy, I encourage you to do it. Yes, it's my book, but the content is helping to change people's lives and to help people back on course. So it is available at most bookstores out there and certainly online. Today we're going to be talking about, well, terrorism. But not only about terrorism, about disarming certain terrorists and how that can be done. We tend to label people very, very quickly. They're a terrorist, they're a criminal, they're a prostitute, they're a drug addict, they're homeless. These labels are not constructive, and they can hurt. And we don't know the person behind the label now, do we? My next guest is Joe Barry, who in 1984 lost her father to a terrorist bombing. That road to forgiveness was one that she chose to create for herself two days after the event. And it's been a journey, to say the very least. You know, we can disarm people with love, compassion, just by speaking to them and not being so damn judgmental all the time. What is the story behind the individual? Hmm. I'm not suggesting that we're all going to accept the terrible acts that are committed against us. Of course not. But maybe, just maybe, it's worth looking into, keeping an open mind. I'll let Joe tell you more about that. So without any further delay, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce you to Joe Barry. Hello, Joe, and welcome to Inspire Us. Oh, thank you. Wonderful to be here today. Well, I'm really glad that you did pop by. And as it was, uh, we were having a chat, ladies and gentlemen, before Joe arrived, and I was having a little bit of technical difficulty, but thank you very much for being patient. So I am excited to hear your story. What I thought we would do is I would have you tell your incredible story, and I'll ask you a few questions about it, because I think it's a, it's a story that needs to be told. And the, the overall theme is something that we need desperately. So Joe, I'm going to turn the microphone over to you to tell us your story. Well, thank you. So my story started a long time ago, back in 1984. Um, I was living in England. And at that time, we had a lot of bombs go off because of the IRA in Northern Ireland. But I lived in peacetime. It was not something I ever worried about. 
And then October the 12th, 1984, my father, who was a politician, was killed in a bomb. It was a bomb that was intended for the whole British government. And I made a decision just two days later. I thought if I, if I have an enemy, if I blame, if I stay a victim or become bitter, then that's gonna affect me all my life. So I chose to go on a journey to understand those who killed my father, to not blame, to understand the reasons why and bring something positive out of what had happened. And that way I was going to win and I was gonna feel better. So a journey started and it's been a very long journey and lots of extraordinary things have happened that have shown me the way to go. But a big part of it was we had a peace process and that was incredible because people stopped being killed and stopped killing. And the man, the only person who was ever in prison for planting that bomb, he became free, he walked out of prison. And that's when I decided I needed to meet him. Now it wasn't to meet him Sorry? No, I was just saying, wow. Yeah, well, it was part of the peace process was, it seemed like if I could meet him and see him as a human being, that would bring back some of my humanity. Now he was the most demonized, the most hated terrorist we had at that time because he nearly killed the prime minister. And I was never going to find out who he was by reading the media because he was absolutely, you know, demonized and called a monster and worse. So I privately went to meet him on my own and no one knew this was happening, you know, and, you know, I now do restorative processes. This broke every single rule because I'm there in a house in Dublin in Ireland, just him and I having a private conversation. And I knew that he was committed to the peace process. So I knew I was safe. And he started off by giving me a lot of um, justification, self-righteousness. His community were the oppressed. They didn't have human rights. They tried non-violence, it didn't work. So basically justifying his actions in the IRA. And I knew he was gonna do that. I'd done some preparation by meeting other men who'd been in the IRA, um, but I was also curious I wanted to know more about him. And I remember at one point looking into his eyes as he's talking and seeing that he was someone who cared for his community. And the moment I saw that he cared, he's no longer this faceless enemy. He's now a human being. And that was what I needed. I just needed him to reveal his humanity, which he did. But he was justifying killing my father and that was difficult. So I'm gonna go now, I've got what I want and no one will ever know I've done this. Like, this is private for my healing. But that's when he changed and he stopped talking. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know anymore who I am. Can I hear your pain? Can I hear your anger? What can I do for you? And I knew in that moment that a new journey had started. And I arrived at that meeting with my needs to see him as human being, but now he's on his journey. And he changes, his voice changes, the way he looks at me changes, and his language changes. He starts saying, I, rather than we. And he would later say that he was disarmed by my empathy. And if I'd gone in there ranting and raging and blaming him and, and, just, and just telling him he was a bad person, he wouldn't have changed. But he chose to change because he felt safe. And for the first time, he's now seen my dad as a human being and realizing 
that he was guilty of demonizing the other in the same way he accused the other of demonizing him. And that's what happens in conflict. So now he's become a human being and he's bringing my dad between us. He's asking questions about him. Mm. That means something to me. That means a lot. You've, uh, yeah, you've unboxed a lot of things there, Joe. So after the killing in 1984, it was two days, you said, that you had come to this decision that you were going to try to, yeah, well, well, I want to touch on that. Not many people would do what you did, especially after two days. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Tell me a little bit about your father. He must have instilled in you uh, certain characteristics, or did you come by them yourself? What led you to look at this horrible situation after such great loss? And I'm certain that you you loved your father dearly. What was it inside yeah. of you? Like, what's tell me about your upbringing. What brought that out of you, Joe? Yeah, I, I did love my dad, and I've been accused of not loving him because of what I went on to do. But I came out of love for him, and. So the two years before my father was killed, I was actually living in the Himalayas in a hut. <laughs> and during that time, I was studying Gandhi, studying nonviolence and believing in peace. But for me, it was about meditation. And meditation almost took me beyond emotions. You know, I did not deal with pain or grief. I just used to meditate and then I felt wonderful. But it did. the bomb allowed me to it was like the real world. This is the real world where people got killed and people killed and meditation was never going to sort that out. So in a way, it didn't make sense of everything I had believed in, but it gave me uh, a will to, I have to find a way to bring meaning to this. You know, I believed in peace all my life. I was a, I was one of those teenagers who saw Vietnam war and saw the Northern Irish conflict and just wanted it all to stop. You know, I wrote about nuclear bombs as a teenager. And so I was a, I was a natural pacifist for a very young age. And um, that stayed with me. But that's very easy in peacetime. You know, how was I going to bring those values now a bomb had gone off? And I think I either have had to give up on the person I had been or start again. And I decided to start again. I had to kind of refine who I was post-bomb because I couldn't be the person I had been before. And that's why I had to dig really deep inside myself and go, okay, I had no control of what's just happened to me, but I can bring some peace out of this. And now I know the pain of losing someone in a terrorist attack. I don't want anyone else to ever go through this again because my heart knows the reality of, of war, of genocide, of terrorism, because there's a certain violence that that happens a certain kind of pain which is I believe different from anything else and I wanted to heal that for other people as well as for myself. How many people in 1984 died in that explosion? There were five people and many injured. And uh, this man obviously was caught some time later and I as you said he spent some time in jail rightfully so for having been the mastermind behind this attack yeah. that, killed, that took the life of five people. How much time did he spend in jail? So he went, I think it was in 85 mm -hmm. and came out in 99. Now, if we hadn't had the peace process, 
you know, he might be coming out now. Correct. Correct. Yes. The peace process expediated his release because of the very, yeah, the very fact that it was a peace uh, process. So during those years, what are you doing? What's going on in your mind to, well, to contact him? What are you doing to, to, to gain access to this man and to speak to him about the things that you were feeling? I didn't try to see him when he was in prison because it would have been too difficult. And actually he never, he never would have seen me in prison because all the time he's in prison, he's working as part of the IRA. It's still the same conflict for him. So it wouldn't have been safe. But I actually traveled to Belfast in, in 1985 and 1986. And I gave my first talk in 1985 to a thousand people. So I, I was at that time talking about forgiveness. These days, I don't actually use the word unless I've got time to explain it. But back in 84, I would go, yeah, I've forgiven him, but I was yet to do some of the emotional work. But I went to meet people who were part of the, some of the peace building groups, even back in 1985, 1986. I went to safe houses where Protestants and Catholics would meet. Um, I met someone who was high up in Sinn Féin, who was part of the political wing of the IRA. I had someone from Longkesh prison write to me. So I was immersing myself in the conflict even back then. But at that time, you know, it wasn't that safe for me to be there because I represented, I was English, my father had been in the government. And so, well, I know that I put myself at risk, but back then I'm not really sure that I was aware of that or even or even cared. I was just intent on finding ways to make a difference and, and for all the terrible killing to stop. And I, I loved the people I met in Northern Ireland. I mean, they they took me into their homes. I, I, they, I They gave me food. They introduced me to people. I had the most extraordinary time of people who really valued that I cared about them. And there I was wanting to know more and and like them believing in peace because most people in these conflicts want peace. You know, they want it all to stop. It's just about, you know, how, how we can be empowered to actually make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would, I understand that this was likely therapy for you in a way dealing with your father's yeah. dealing with your father's death but also going behind the curtain to find out what the motivations of other people are and to see them whether or not they have a human side to them and it sounds yeah. very much like you found much of, of the human side that you were looking for you found in these people and uh, I'm, I'm anxious to find out about your meeting with the man who took your father's life and it happened in 1999, or he came 2000. out in 2000. He, so he came out in 99. You had, yeah. uh, and, and tell us about that journey. How did you find him? And and I know that the first meeting perhaps wasn't that great, but tell us about that. Oh, no, the first meeting was amazing um, because I was quite clear that I was going to meet him just once and that okay. would be that. So during the year 2000, I was immersing myself in the conflict because of the peace process, there were all these support programs of people being affected by violence. And so I would go to many different workshops and weekends and I met other men who'd been in the IRA and they all said to me, but Joe, 
he doesn't have a problem. You're the one who's the who's got the problem. Like you know, he probably won't want to meet you because like we're okay. It's almost like because we had righteousness on our side, so we haven't got a problem. Um, so he probably won't even want to meet you. Um, but I met people who knew him, and that was important because they shared their experience of him, and then they also said they would arrange it. And every time someone said they knew him, and it's a small world in Northern Ireland, you know, it, was, it happened a lot. You know, I would say, okay, can you make it happen? And three times I actually heard, I got phone calls or met someone and they said, oh, actually he doesn't want to meet you. And I felt disappointed, but then also I trusted it. So the whole journey has been about synchronicity, serendipity, trusting the timing and so I thought well if it's not right it's not going to happen and the other people I could meet I was meeting people who were involved in who are families who lost loved ones in Bloody Sunday and Bloody Sunday was an appalling event that um, led to a whole lot of violence also mm. um, I was meeting families and some of the hunger strikers so I was meeting other people in terms of the other there were many people to meet you know so I was having a extraordinary meetings of all sorts of people and I thought that's okay there's lots of other people in the IRA I'll meet them and then I I wrote a poem for him called Bridges Can Be Built and I shared it at a peace conference and someone said to me under that Joe if you want me to make that meeting happen I'll do it and I said okay <laughs> just let me know and he did he did manage to do it and when I met Patrick, so I was in a friend's house, I was just in the kitchen, there was no prepared environment. I mean, you, you know, Paul, enough about these things, you'd normally expect to have mediators there and facilitators and, you know, preparation, none of it. It's just a friend's house. You know? and, and when he came in the door, one of the first things I said to him was, oh, I'm so pleased you've changed your mind and you've agreed to meet me. And he said, oh, no, no, I've, I've always said I'd meet you. I've been asked a few times and I've always said, of course. And that was almost like an icebreaker, because now we're talking about something that's happened to us both, which wasn't the bomb. You know, and the reason why I believe people said it shouldn't happen was because of the, the time. It was so soon after the peace process. And it was such a huge story, you know, for both of us. He was high profile. My dad had been high profile. They were worried perhaps I wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. You know, it was, it was too early for people, I, I believe. And looking back, I can kind of understand why. Um, mm -hmm. But we got there, you know, and, and here I went to a room at the back of the house. And I, I do remember looking into his eyes and thinking, oh, you don't look like my idea of a terrorist you know, some strange thoughts, another voice in my head going, leave now, leave now while you can, you're with the man who killed your father, just go, go. But I stayed and I listened to him deeply, because I knew I wanted more than what he was sharing with me. And that's what he said disarmed him, was mm -hmm. my listening. You know, I think about it, I, I'm just a, you know, a, a woman who, in some ways, very, very naive and don't have a lot of political answers but I was just there with my heart just listening to him and that enabled him I believe to feel safe which is important and then he opened up 
And that's when the real conversation started. And we're still having it 21 years later. Yeah, that is incredible, Joe. And, and I, from what you said a little bit earlier, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you originally, when you first met Patrick in that home, he was justifying uh, yeah. his, his actions. But it wasn't until he saw that you were actually very interested in seeing him in hearing him and understanding him with that empathy that you brought to the table that changed yeah. his heart and he saw you for who you were, yeah. that, dis that, dis that empathy disarmed him. There's a big message in what was just said here because it's so true that uh, terrorists, criminals, uh, whatever, whatever people do, it doesn't mean that they have to remain that way or that their hearts have to remain angry. And it's people mm -hmm. like you that can disarm people with your approach and your empathy. Let's speak about that for a minute. What would you like to, to tell our listeners out there? Because I understand you. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you, from my personal background, a terrorist actually saved my life because of the I way know. that, wow. yeah, yes, because of the way that I had treated him with dignity and respect on an earlier occasion. Criminals have turned completely around, hardened criminals, murderers, because of the empathy that I showed wow. them. And I've got stories just as you do. But Joe, I want to hear uh, what you have to wow. say about this because I understand <laughs> it. And I, I know that we can make a difference in this world. So what is your message to our listeners out there? Oh, but it means so much to me. I know you do understand. I'm not, not everyone does. And you use the word dignity. And Patrick also used the word dignity. He said he never met anyone with so much dignity before. And that's what changed him. I, I believe that we all have the potential to not blame each other. When we're hurting, the first thing we think about is, who can I blame? Who can I make responsible for this? But that's not how we feel better. That's not all that does. It keeps us suffering. So if we can say to ourselves, what's happened has been out of my control and this is really difficult, but I'm not going to blame. I'm going to find a way to bring something positive out of this. And that means every emotion I feel, it's my emotional job to find a way to express it without hurting anyone then we break that cycle of violence and revenge so it's giving up blame and then it's about becoming curious you know what everyone has a story it doesn't mean that we have to tolerate um behavior that hurts us but we've become curious to understand it and that gives us more choices on how to respond we can respond we can challenge people without blaming them we can still keep their dignity so next time you want to blame take a few breaths find a way to say to yourself this time I'm not going to make someone wrong because that will take some of my humanity away I'm going to do what I need to do to feel better and I will find a way because life brings us those experiences I really I really know with all of me that as soon as we say I am going to stay I'm going to find a way to do something different. Then life conspires to bring us the opportunities to make a difference. It could be a book suddenly flashes up or we meet a random stranger and we'll know our next steps. But just as we can all hurt each other, and I really believe we have the power to hurt, we all can hurt in extraordinary situations. 
but we also can heal and be resilient and be a positive change maker. And that means giving up an idea of the other because actually we're all connected with the same humanity. So if we hurt someone, I believe the whole world hurts. So we can refine that empathy, that compassion and our own humanity and start thriving and together make a difference in the world. You know, I do believe it is possible. We all have that potential and we need support. We need each other. Um, and that's one of the things that I do is give a lot of people that support and that knowing and that belief in them to empower them that we all can do it differently. Joe, I love that because you are, you, your words are, are those of mine I've used on many occasions because seek first to understand then to be understood. Could you imagine if world leaders, instead of going to war, would sit down and listen to each other? Not, we don't have to agree with another person's behavior, their actions, but we certainly can listen, can't we? And, and we, I think we could change the world with that attitude. And I really love oh. what you said. Yeah, there's so much that you said and unpacked there. So I know what you just said to everybody, but if there were, have you thought of one line or do you have something that you leave your, your audiences with? Because I, I'm, I'm gathering uh, from you that you speak quite a bit on this topic. So what is it that you tell your audiences to do? Is there a, an action that they can take? Do you leave them with something that they can take into the world? The one thing that I would recommend is remember that phrase, what's just happened was not in my control, but I'm going to choose how I respond. And it seems like we, have, we can have a sword and we can aim the sword at someone else even maybe wanting to hurt them, or it could be a metaphor. Or we can take that sword and put it in the ground and go, I am going to find a way to bring something positive. And when we earth that sword, something changes, something changes in us. So just remember, put your sword in the ground and say, I'm going to find a way to bring something positive. And you will find your next step very quickly but that is the first step right and the important thing is to take the first step because as Lao Tzu said yeah. the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step the idea is that we keep on taking those steps and in this case yeah. this has been a wonderful conversation and your your journey what an extraordinary journey how can people reach out to you Joe and and converse with you more or ask you to speak do you have a website do you do you direct people yeah. somewhere yeah, people are very welcome to contact me. I'm, I'm now working virtually like we all are. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I have a charity, um, which is Building Bridges for Peace. Um, and I also have my own personal website, which is um, joe-berry.com. Um, if you Google Joe Berry Building Bridges for Peace, you'll find me. And um, I love to be contacted. I love to lend my story so that we can start a different conversation with okay. emotional safety and really validating everyone. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing your story, your incredible story and your journey with us. And you left us with a great message. We can find peace and we can certainly connect with others. And the idea is to 
empathize and to listen and yeah. to truly be present because as you said everybody has a story and we tend mm -hmm. to judge the action as opposed to the individual far too quickly so th thank you joe for reminding yeah. us of that and i ladies and gentlemen i will put the website in the show notes and joe thank you so much i wish you every success on your journey and i hope that you help to change this wow. world because we, we really need it wow oh Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's been a joy and a blessing to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient.